I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm David Clark. And we love to watch. We love to watch the film adaptation of How Aaron and Pete Met. <laughs> hey, Pete. Hey. <laughs> uh, hey, David. That's a great... Uh... It's a great uh, opening because it's yeah, true, thanks. except it, it, w- it would have to be a little different in that uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan would have to only communicate about blood horn- Bloodborne for their <laughs> oh, first yeah. 10,000 messages. <laughs> and and then, man. yeah, and then finally go, so like, do you like other things besides uh, Bloodborne? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't understand men's obsession with Bloodborne. <laughs> Girls like Dark Souls too. okay? Really, like. Just down to earth girls who love Dark Souls too. I'm always making Bloodborne references. Like every guy knows Bloodborne references, right? No, you know what you gotta do. Here's what you gotta do. You gotta slay the beast. Slay yeah. the beast. What does that mean? It's from Bloodborne. You don't know Slay the Beast. Every guy knows Slay the Beast. <laughs> Peter's like, I need, I need some business advice. I'm really good at business. Fear the old blood, Peter. Yeah. You don't know about fear in the old blood? Come on, fear the old blood. Get the saw cleaver out and. Go hunting. There's there's blood in the streets. Smell it. <laughs> you own a business and you're not using a plus 10? Get the blood rock. This is the ultimate Venn diagram where it's people who have played Bloodborne extensively and people who have seen You've Got Mail. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What are you talking We're about? We're catering to you're a very exclusive. Without, without, without 15 vitality? you got to raise the vitality steps first. Come on. This is your first playthrough? <laughs> I just missed the scene where Tom Hanks tells Meg Ryan to get good. <laughs> oh, the reason oh, I beat you at business is that you didn't get good. You got to yeah. stop using shields. This is a dodging kind of game. You got to dodge the competition. <laughs> now watch this forty-minute YouTube video on why dodging is better than shielding. I, I love the scene. I love the scene when Meg Ryan is talking to her coworkers and uh, her colleagues or employees or whatever, and she's like, "I think we'll be fine. We'll just use this wooden shield." Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a plank shield. It's a joke by the developers, you idiot. Yeah, Tom Hanks is like, watch some fucking H-bomber guy. <laughs> so I, uh, I like the, there's a basic concept here, and that's that um, capitalism is the dark souls of the real world. <laughs> I say we just do a two-hour podcast where it's only if Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan were talking about Bloodborne. But um, <laughs> it's a very niche audience, but it, you know what? It may be bigger than our normal audience. Steve Zahn's in the corner like, you got to play Hollow Knight. That's the real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys, you guys need a PS3 so you can play Demon Souls. Greg Kinnear's in the corner. He's like, you guys are playing video games, video games. My day was D&D, tabletop only. That's the real stuff. <laughs> he's probably writing about the lore. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, hey, Steve Zahn, have you ever, uh, you ever, uh, you know, joined a covenant? No, it's just one more way for me to get rejected. <laughs> uh, all right. We are. We love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We're a video game podcast. But, but clearly wants to be a video game podcast. Uh, we pick a theme and we do uh, movies uh, over the course of a month around that theme. And this month we are doing America's very specific sweethearts, the films of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, and then a couple films without uh, one of them. And we're on our third week. Uh, doing a little movie called You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. Great, Peter. Thank you for, thanks, thanks. Thanks for thanks. being additive. Thank you. Uh, do you guys want to hear me doing any other impressions? Yeah, do the goodbye voice. From goodbye. Great. Oh. Even better. 
Um, but could you do me to dance like the baby from Ally McBeal? Can you do the away message on uh, AIM? Um, one second. How was how that? That was worth the wait. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but we're doing You've Got Mail. Uh, the movie that actually feels somewhat still relevant for a movie about net 1.0 or 2.0 or whatever they called the crazy 1998 internet because yeah people still email and use instant messenger and flirt so yeah Yeah, it's not it's actually like the the aesthetics have aged but i noticed that there's this opening sequence that's all digital version of new york Mm -hmm. and it weirdly has come back around as a sort of like vaporwave aesthetic yeah (laughs) so so it's like it it has um i know there's like a theory that 40 years is like the retro uh the the when retro stuff becomes really sexy but i think now that 90s stuff has come back a little bit. Haven't you watched Adam Curtis hypernormalization? These cycles are like every three years now. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just getting shorter and shorter yeah. because we're getting closer and closer to the apocalypse. And <laughs> in that, it's kind of funny because like this kind of st- I remember watching the movie like in t- the 2000s and being like, this opening shit is so hacky and corny. And now I, I watched it yesterday. And I was like, this is kind of charming. Yeah, it's fine. It was like Lawnmower Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's come full uh, circle now. Now, now it's a uh, it's a timepiece. Yeah, so, so I mean, like God bless the rom com because it is it, like if you look, it's not just you've got mail. If you look at all of the sort of modern rom coms, you're gonna get a look into what the like the mores of were that for that time. Like I love watching rom coms that are like from the past that are not classics. Like I watched like a. I watched one that was set during World War II, and it was, was it More the Merrier? And it was just like a normal romantic comedy. And you're like, you know exactly where you are in history from watching that movie because of what they thought audiences would want. It's like the technology's all there. The fashion's all there. It's like, it's, it's just this pure distillation of the time period it was made in. Yeah, that's, Thank you for that's coming actually, to my TED Talk. <laughs> that's actually a, a wonderful place to start because like, rom-coms i think are often ignored particularly by like male reviewers and um men in general as a sort of like dumb chick stuff but uh we just talked about bloodborne for like 10 minutes and it was the dumbest thing imaginable (laughs) way dumber than anything (laughs) in this movie oh yeah human Uh, relationships are so fucking stupid right (laughs) (laughs) the way humans they're pretty stupid compared to the elder gods who operate on a plane a little bit higher than us guys um (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then men are and then men are like like i don't know why my girlfriend stopped having sex with me i just keep talking about bloodborne all the time the Um, stuff she likes is stupid Uh, (laughs) i don't know why she hates me these movies do have an amazing amount of cultural cachet and cultural relevance i'm really happy to welcome back our uh, former guest of the show David Clark. Welcome back, David. I'm also current guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Former and never again guest. <laughs> Former guest. We cut his mic. Uh, yeah. Thank you for coming back on, David. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself uh, to our audience? I'm David Clark. Um, I am now a professional video editor. I live in uh, I live in Queens, New York. And, Congratulations, uh, by the way. Yeah, thank you. I got a new job. I'm. Uh, I'm. If you want to follow what I do, I do. Uh, I edit videos for the Drawfee channel on YouTube. It's a college humor's uh, drawing improvisational channel. It's wonderful. Uh, check it out if you like video games and drawing and anime and 
that kind of thing. I don't know. That's really fun though. Uh, and uh, I also like <laughs> it movies. is really fun. Yeah, it is. It's very fun. You've seen them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're silly. Admittedly, because I wanted to check out well, where you'd be working, but it's oh, yeah. very cool. I mean, the last, the first one I did was literally about Dark Souls. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's on. It's a weirdly on topic, you know. Well, hold on. You forgot about your most important credentials covering this movie, David. Oh, I've seen She Loves Me. I guess. No, David. Where's this movie set? <laughs> oh, <laughs> New, New York. Uh, hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> grab, grab a slice of real, authentic pizza city. <laughs> How are our impressions better? That's weird. This- this movie actually uh, avoids a lot of uh, New York stereotypes that you usually as- we usually associate with the show, like the pizza pie and all that shit. Yeah. Um, and it associates more with like uh, what uh, rich people were doing in the 90s. Although it also it also is covering the most perennial New York topic imaginable that comes out of like that everyone here talks about all the time, at least everyone I know. Gentrification. That's like the real New York yeah. pizza thing. It's like that in oh, San yeah. Francisco. Yeah. We're both known for our gentrification. And there's a whole line where she's like, I don't want to have to move to Brooklyn. Man, fuck you, Meg Ryan. I love you, Meg Ryan. You're a national treasure. But in that moment, go fuck yourself. That's where people of color are and a 15 ride, fifteen minute ride into Manhattan. Nora, Nora Ephron's never left the, the upper yeah. is it west side, east side. I don't know. No. Nora Ephron is, uh, is loaded enough at this point that it doesn't like anything outside of there. And she's like, why would I go there except for, for to the airports? Yeah, exactly. yeah, I do think that even though we have our New York accent, if we were doing a more uh, accurate one for the current time period, we would just be doing Steve Zahn in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most accurate New York accent would be, I'm just so glad they cleaned this neighborhood up. Oh, I'm gentrifying here. Uh, anyway, yeah, we're doing You've Got Mail. Uh, now, David, mm-hmm. we, we're on our third Hanks Ryan movie. I said this one is my favorite. Uh, no, I said, I, I've not said it's my favorite. I said Joe versus Joe versus the Volcano is, is everyone's favorite. That it's is, everyone's it's favorite. Seen, yeah, it's the best. Yeah. But, uh, but it's not I said the most this, interesting this, to talk about. I think this is the most interesting to talk about. That's I think this is the most interesting to talk about. And I also think that this is the most Joe's like, way weirder, though. <laughs> Let's I, not get that wrong. Yeah, but I'm not. No, I, I, I like this. This movie's got a lot to unpack in its normality. Like the normal things yes. about this movie are super strange and super interesting. The time capsule of what this movie is and how it was speaking to audiences, and and the t- the fact that this kind of movie does not exist anymore makes it so much more fascinating than it was five, ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah. Well, and Hanks and Hank, Hanks and Ryan are kind of known for like they did these three romantic comedies together, and I would say that this one is the only one that is truly a traditional romantic comedy in the way that we view the genre. Like, Sleepless in Seattle, I think, leans more towards, like, classic romance-type movie, and Joe versus the Volcano is this wonderful fantasy adventure with some romance. But this is, like, the true romantic comedy formula that it both borrows from and then adds to, I think, uh, from a lot of copycats going on. So I, I do think this is the most um, leisurely of the movies. But I but I am curious, David, so you've seen the other two. Obviously, a positive uh, thought on Joe vs. Volcano. I actually haven't seen Sleepless in Seattle. You haven't seen Sleepless in Seattle? No. Interesting. No. Uh, but you like Joe vs. Volcano. I've seen Joe vs. Volcano, yeah. And then next week we're doing, we're, tr- we're trying it uh, we're trying to do a Hanks and a uh, Meg Ryan movie from the same era without the other one as a star. So we're doing Money Pit and IQ. 
I think it's a cute movie. It's a really nice. Yeah. It's like exactly what it's trying to be. And what it's trying to be is like super delightful. It's like Tim Robbins is just this lug. Yeah. And you've got like, what's, what's, who's the dude? Uh, the, the guy plays the- Mathau. Yeah, Matha. Everyone loves Walter Matha. He's doing the little German accent. It's adorable. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I th- I think IQ is going to come out. I, no, I've not seen the Money Pit. I think it's going to come out stronger than the Money Pit. I, uh, I forgot Walter Matha was in IQ, and I was briefly briefly pushing to get IQ bumped from the month. And uh, yeah, now we have to do it because I love Walter Matha. Because you were thinking it was, uh, was that or, or French Kiss. Or Those you felt do, like or you could do the shop around the corner. Or we could do when Harry met Sally. You do when Harry met Sally. That's but I feel don't like do that. Don't watch but Billy see, Crystal. <laughs> Billy Crystal, the jazz man himself. Yeah, the racist jazz man. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I th- I think when when Harry met Sally, I've said this. I think that's the exception. I think both Hanks and Ryan had one hit in this kind of genre outside of themselves, which was Splash for Tom Hanks, which I've never seen. Uh, and when Harry met Sally, so I think those are the exceptions that prove the rule that uh, that the rest of the romantic comedies that they start in were kind of these forgotten movies. Um, Wait, you don't you don't remember I, the Terminal? I don't, is that a romantic comedy? I guess it kind of is. Or yeah. uh, what was that other one? Uh, Larry Crown? You're not a Larry Crown fan? Was that him and Julia Roberts? I think so. You like? Do you think that movie would have been good if they had just used the same script and gotten Meg Ryan? I think the movie would have been good um, if they'd written it better. <laughs> that one movie would have been good if it was good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's like that. Tom Hanks directed that one too, right? That's like right out. Like he hadn't done a movie or directed a movie since that thing you do and that thing you do rules. I remember being excited for Larry Crown, but I don't think I ever saw it. It's it's uh, also it's in the it's in the uh, the genre pleasant core. Oh, that's nice. If you ever been watching too much too much awful shit, go ahead and throw in uh, that thing you got. I, I agree a hundred percent. It's and I th- I put you've got mail in that category. I think one of the reasons I really like this movie is that it is an easy watch at any time. Like you can throw it on in the background, you can unwind after a long day. You don't want to focus on something. And Pleasant Core is a great move. Uh, um, uh, name for it. It's compelling. It has a plot that zips along. Yeah. It has charming characters. But I don't need to. I don't need to think really all that much about it. I don't know if it also combines with like PG rated movies that are meant for sort of adults. But yeah. there is something in there that like yeah, I can just put this on on a lazy afternoon. I feel like a racer head kind of fills that that you know, that. <laughs> I think a racer head's in there. Oh yeah, very high IQ. Um, Cronenberg's and, crash. Any, yeah, any Bellatar movie where a horse drowns is really good for me because uh, you could just really sit and stew in it. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. the white ribbon just get lost in the black and white cinematography while you. I watch. Off to sleep. I watch Andre Rublev twice a week. <laughs> just sometimes if you're really busy you just watch the scene where the those uh artisans are being blinded yeah. and you're just like you're like ah oh, thank you i just got I feel it like i just did yeah i feel like i just did yoga i love I mean, if you're watching it twice a week so that's much. your whole week it's a long movie is what i'm saying <laughs> so yeah so let's why don't we get into it let's let's talk about the movie that uh i i think is somewhat remembered among comedy nerds as seth rogan's favorite movie from uh undeclared because of the what we just talked about that it's just so pleasant mm. and it just washes over you like a blanket <laughs> uh and then also has some seriously disturbing catfishing stuff you've got mail you guys ready to talk about it yeah let's talk about Alrighty. it Take 
thing soon. Anyways, Peter. Aaron, you are alternate taglines. No, I'm not, Peter. Uh, yeah, you I know. Are. I know. I was just hoping. You're alternate taglines. Embrace it. Yeah. Say the line. Say the fucking line, Peter. Okay. <laughs> I just need a minute. Chill out. <laughs> Say the line. Um, Make it funny. Make it pop. <laughs> yeah, you need me to pick. Make it pop? <laughs> Make it funny, make it pop. <laughs> make it funny, make it pop. But not the peas. Make it soda. Okay. I still have nothing. <laughs> why do why do we not write these beforehand, Aaron? This is oh, uncomfortable this for everyone. Is, this is good editing material. It's like what practice you, So editing. you're trying to do a transition? It's just an um, alter, yeah. yeah, just an alternate tagline. Like, hey, a different tagline for this movie would be. No one gets it, even past guess. I don't know why we do it. Um, let me th- let me think. Let me think. Alternate tagline. Someone, pa- someone you pass on the street, you may already be the love of your life. Huh? It's the real huh. one. Some, how about this one? Someone you, someone putting you out of business may already be the love of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, we're good. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, could also, I think, I think, be prepared to root for the big guy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, that is the the secret of this movie watching it now is is a couple things before we get into the plot first uh you sort of realize that tom hanks is really skating by by uh tom hanks charm because everything else about him is he is a true monster yeah. who we would be picketing in the street um, uh yeah yeah he literally he literally is being protested in it and the movie seems to know it, but is like, eh, fuck him anyway. Like, they compare him to Franco. His dad is bad. Like, they are just like this scummy family who uh, very specifically doesn't like see consumers as people. Like, there's references to that. They have these boats. They all keep, like, having these, like, weird relationships and stuff like that. Uh, and somehow we're still rooting for him. Uh, the fact that they don't try and justify big corporations moving in and remain to keep them as these, like, cynical assholes is in its own way uh, an act of kindness. Because they they refuse to perform moral relativism on us when, like, in reality, no. like, yeah, they are cynical dudes who are trying their best to put uh, all the competition out of business so that they can steal every book dollar in the city and, and every coffee dollar in the city and whatever else. And he's, the, the Fox Books is clearly supposed to be like a Barnes & Noble Borders thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, And if it's any constellation, the Fox family is going to be out of business within 20 years. That's the other funny part about this. Uh, independent bookstores still yeah. exist. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. Bar- Bar- Barnes & Noble is skating by on what, like uh, Criterion sales? Well, yeah, that's what's so funny about it. It's been pointed out before that right now, because Amazon was just around the corner, uh, it's the big box stores that are literally seen sometimes as like the little guy and champion because you're right, Peter, like niche bookstores or niche record stores and stuff like that. They definitely still have struggles. And, you know, it, it's always sad when you hear one going out of business or moving or shutting down. But like there is a bigger market for that now in 2019 than there was in 1998 uh, when when this really was taking over. But like it is stuff like the Barnes and Nobles that people really root for. <laughs> Like, they are the little guy that people get bummed if they hear they're going to close. Like, Toys R Us. I think so, yeah. I mean, I... Yeah, uh, I I have a specific example. Sorry, go on, Aaron. Well, like, look at Toys R Us. Like... No, Toys R Us was was is one of the biggest toy sellers in the country. Yeah, it was like like the top. I'm glad they closed. I'm just like, I'm not, like sympathetic towards them at all but that just means all that business is either going to disappear or go to amazon and walmart so it's like it's 
So there's like mid-sized corporations getting eaten up by bigger massive blade runner corporations well yeah. but that's that's the thing right like when uh toys r us and kb toys like 20 years ago it was like all these little like toy sellers and toy shops they were putting them out of business and now when toys r us went out of business there was a lot of people like oh the little guy can't even survive in the time of amazon or something like that we saw that with movie rental stores like you know blockbuster was the fucking worst and people still lament that there's no many there's no uh, blockbusters anymore because it all went to digital and Netflix. Uh, even though Blockbuster was the monster who took out all the little independent, I video literally never went to Blockbuster. They charged so much, and it was oh. just the worst environment. Like I don't know who like, did they actually close down the smaller places? Like because the smaller places were always cheaper. Oh yeah, and well, some of them came back. Like now we have, there is a market for that. So, like in Minneapolis, we have like a small chain of a couple different video stores that have started popping up again. But it, but it is so funny that like 1998 especially was like peak big box. These like giant chains who were putting out all the things that exist in my entire life back when you know there was ten movie rental stores and uh, you know a bunch of different toy shops around the town and. They all disappeared and like – but that was such a limited lifespan before uh, they became the the thing that people were nostalgia for that started disappearing uh, while a lot of these little things started popping up. So, it's just – this really is such a small sliver of time that big box stores for the most part are like I guess somewhat niche big box stores because I guess Walmart and Target and those kind of things are still pretty – pretty massive but like the we sell a couple different things and are putting out all these little markets um you know it it really was a small period of time i have two specific examples here i think it's partially because it's a generational thing uh i grew up in naperville illinois and uh we have like a big downtown area whatever barnes and noble is something that people like champion to stay alive people petition the landlord to lower their rent so they could stick around because they occupied this big space right in the middle of downtown they thought like if this happened you know who's gonna occupy that space and then also, they were people were championing Anderson's Bookshop, which was this independent, cool bookshop that like uh, would get like cool authors that were swinging through town to do book signings and book talks and readings and shit. And so like the town would champion both of them because they were like, we just want these spaces to exist. But like back in, you jump back like a generation. And everyone saw Barnes and Noble moving in as like they're going to put yeah. Andersons out of out of business. But once they became a staple in the community, and people started to know like, hey, they actually like supply a lot of jobs to the community. Um, people were got attached to it, and they were like, well, we need to keep these guys around. Um, and it's the same thing with Blockbuster. I joined a generation that. Blockbuster had already killed all of the small, a lot of the, not all of them, but a lot of the small video shops in my area. And so Blockbuster was my video shop. And that's why I, I, I when it was started to close, I like lamented the loss of this, this thing. You're not lamenting um, the loss of the Blockbuster specifically, but like the fact that it was the last place that you could go to do this. The, right. Yes, I could stroll aisles. And also, like, Blockbuster would have amazing DVD deals, like four or five DVDs for $20. Oh, especially when that's like going out of business, right? Yeah. That was actually how I expanded my DVD library and how I started getting to, into, like, Chinese movies. Because, like, nobody else in my tiny little Illinois suburb, well, not tiny, but smaller Illinois suburb, uh, wanted, uh, wanted to re- buy all the 
fucking they don't they didn't want to buy lost caution uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and i did and i did so it was cheap as shit yeah i lost caution they didn't they, they weren't steamy in, yeah, lost caution. yeah you you wanted to buy that because you were super into foreign films peter i'm sure yeah. um lost caution <laughs> i have a lot of lust and everyone keeps telling me please be cautious did you only, did you <laughs> only watch the You're first half people. of the movie <laughs> you're just in it for the lust i'm just it's, in it it's like a, it's like a two-sider yeah. one side is lust one side is caution like lust. a fucking rem album you threw, you threw caution you know where you threw it to the wind you threw it to the wind uh yeah well and i grew up in like such a smaller town that like a lot of these changes took forever to come there so like i remember when barnes and noble showed up it was like I think it was like 1998 or nine. It was like a huge thing. Everyone was so excited for it. Like, finally, we get a Barnes and Noble. We live in Bismarck. The nearest town that's bigger than ours is four hours away. And that's like slightly bigger. So, yeah. so I, and stuff like Toys R Us too. There was no Toys R Us anywhere in fucking North Dakota. As a kid, go, going to a place with the Toys R Us was the biggest thing in the world. So, like, I didn't see these things as like encroaching on uh, space that, uh, that I uh, that I enjoyed more, and then seeing those things go out of business, I saw them as like special treats for a lot of my yeah. life. The, the landscape has changed considerably yeah. with the uh, how our retail space is, and that like a lot of big box are dying, and in, in, in online is uh, thriving in a lot of spaces, but it's a very few companies are thriving, and then a few boutique shops are kind of catching some of the uh, whatever Amazon leaves behind, yeah. and that in our time growing up, like there were moments when I didn't think generationally or depending on geography or region, y- you might have welcomed a Barnes and Noble or a Blockbuster or whatever in town. But the previous generation was like, these things are taking B Dalton. Yeah. (laughs) I think you're right. Um, It is weird that the most dated part of the, of a movie from 1998 that uh, revolves around the internet again is not the internet. It's the, the capitalist uh, society. Yeah. And how that's all. This is a very contradictory movie in a lot of ways too. I mean, it's a movie that's like about the, the little guy, the sort of the small chain is like this, like, where, but what's the first thing she does in the morning? She goes to Starbucks. Starbucks. Like, like yeah, I wrote that down too. That's I insane. know that's a that's a very obvious. Like, wait a second. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. There's, like, we're, the shop around the corner right now is either a Starbucks or a Chase Bank. Like, it's 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 either a bank or a Starbucks right now. So, well, and we didn't talk about the irony, though. the fact that the thing <laughs> that he uses to fall in love with Meg Ryan eventually is about to kill. He's about to kill Fox Books. Yeah. yeah. Although, though, although you, know he's that, like a, you know that they'll be fine because, you know, they'll just invest in some other. They'll probably invest in Amazon or something like that. I bet they own. They'll probably like they buy the Ewing. rights to the shop around the corner and open like <laughs> 10 little boutiques of it around the, the town. They'll get a, they'll get a uh, massive parachute, golden parachute. They'll be fine. You know, it's very interesting to me that that moment happens because I can't tell if it's intentional irony or if it's accidental irony, the Starbucks moment, because is that her embracing the big shops? Is this, is this oh, no, that's product placement. placement? That's a hundred percent product placement. Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. There's a line in that movie where he says that for two ninety five you can get a defining sense of self. That is like fucking Don Draper shit right there. But he, but but he also says he also makes fun of it where he says um, this is for people who can't make decisions to make six decisions uh, all in a row. Yeah, but then he says he says those decisions, those those simple decisions, let you have decided something and give you a defining sense of self. He like literally, I wrote this down. Two ninety five, you can get a defining sense of yeah. self. That is. 
fucking crazy. That is like some, yeah. that is pure Don Draper shit right there. I'm like, it's oh beautiful. God, yeah. It'd be beautiful. It wasn't so disgusting, frankly. <laughs> but that's the thing is that like Tom Hanks really is, uh, you miss it because it's he's Tom Hanks. But like he really, they don't cut down his villainy in this movie. Well, no, I no, that, that think, they don't think yeah. that that's villainous though. I think that the movie, okay. So here's you the thing. You, you think the, that they think it's clever. Here's huh. the thing about this movie is that this is what it was, it's, back, it's like the contradictions of this film is that, you know, it is, is both this small business and this big business but the the thing that's at stake is really like personal versus impersonal because they make a point of showing that like in her store the employees are all part-time like there's nobody there that really relies on them for income and so it's more just this notion of this place that's been there for a really long time and like there's not actual like an actual material change present in the lives of these people like she she has money saved up she's going to be fine it's very clear that she'll be fine and so yeah the sort of economic element is not even really there it's it's more of just a it's like a pride thing it's a it's an excuse to like to have a, a setting and to you know to have these two people argue about something that's not super serious but still serious yeah like she's not in any danger nobody there's in any danger there's nobody that's like they take out all of the things that could make it have stakes that could make joe fox seem truly hateable a villain you know if he yeah. if he was going to put somebody out of business and that person like literally didn't have any income after that and you know they were losing their uh their benefits and all these other things it would be a little harder to like root for their romance i think she ends up getting a job that is like, oh, my bookstore closed. I guess I'll become an editor or a yeah, writer. I'll become like, I'll become she, a, a a professional publishing editor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, like that's her that's her like uh, fallback job position. to another rom com yeah. job. Why why does she feel so secure in her in her like livelihood and all that? And she's lamenting the past and all that. And then at the end of the movie, like we don't have a genuine sense that like she has a future other than just becoming um, Mrs. Joe Fox. Mrs. Joe Fox and just giving in to the big corporate life. Like he's not offering that he's going to leave the family company and start his own business or whatever. Like at least like a nod at the fact that he's stepping away from the vicious cycle that his father keeps talking about where he just has these girlfriends that are mostly his kids nannies. And then eventually they're just these women who like he found attractive and they're just occupying space because that's like, not th- that's not the movie's journey for her. Like the journey ends no. for her. The, the moment her moment of revelation. Right. Like every movie has to have a moment where she goes from not understanding something to understanding something, right? It's not just that, you know, she found out the secret and whatever, he's the guy. That's not, she has to fall in love with him as him for the movie to work, right? Um, and the moment then she decides that she's giving herself permission to be friends with him and to love him is when um, uh, Stapleton, Gene Stapleton says that she fell in love with General Franco. Yeah. And said that, you know, she regretted not fucking that dictator. <laughs> and so the movie dictator. yeah the movie well, is just a dictator love is love you know what i mean so the movie's real perspective is that love should love should exceed all ba- like go past all boundaries which is not it's not a realistic thing but it is like it is attractive if you're a i don't know if you're Nora efron in the studios it sounds like a great idea you know what i mean if you're like if you're a starbucks well, person who's going to fund this movie it sounds like a it's a great notion it's also the romantic comedy ethos right like that's Sleepless in Seattle. Our criticisms of Sleepless in Seattle were 
that movie seems so funny in retrospect because even though it's very charming, like you see the ending of that movie of two people that have essentially never spoken to each other and they're like, well, come on home. And it's like, this isn't going to work. But that movie, again, is trumpeting the same thing that most romantic comedies do, that love is the most important thing. So this thing that they have, this this intangible spark when Tom Hanks sees her in the airport and Meg Ryan falls in love with his story on the radio, like that's enough to yeah. sustain a long-term relationship. Is, like I, I want to get so like – I like I want to just have Adorno, Adolfo Adorno come to this conversation. This is pure culture industry shit. You know, it's like it's it's all about individuality and love and, and, and all of these things exceeding the boundaries of everything else rather than sort of the actual stuff that makes up their life you know and it's it's both what, what's fun and enjoyable about this movie and it's also the thing that kind of makes it you know propaganda essentially for yeah. a certain way of life you know and there's things that i really do like about this movie and they're kind of tied into the things that i don't like about this movie in some ways well you're right because uh, the romantic comedy is like your life is things you do while you wait to find love yeah. Like, no, like that's all it is. Like, you have these jobs, but everyone at the jobs are like, when am I going to find love? When is someone going to walk in in my life? And they have, like, family members and friends. And they go out with friends and complain or wish that they had, you know, someone they were in love with, someone that made them feel special. Like, they're, they're, the rest of their – the framework of their life really is truly, like, a framework that's missing the major piece where most people's life – uh, I would say is composed of all the, those are all more, they're not, it's not an empty shell. It's a, uh, it literally is like pieces of a puzzle or a pie or something, mm-hmm. right? Like it, every, every thing has its spot. And there is some people have big slices that you only need a couple things and it makes a whole pie. And some have little slices that have a lot of components to it, but there's not a consistency of those components or their size or anything like that. I think it's why Moonstruck's maybe the best romantic comedy ever is because it completely forgoes all of the other things that kind of get in the way. And it literally is just a world where people are obsessed with nothing but love. And it's like, yeah, but that's a wonderful movie, I think, because of that. It's not it's not trying to get involved in the business element and the best friends and all this, like all the bullshit trappings. It's like kind of it just distills it down to, you know, everyone in that movie is thinking about love. You know what I mean? And that's 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 kind that's that's my favorite rom-com, probably. I would say. Yeah. And I kind of had a realization watching this movie because this is such a great example of the Onion article, like, man arrested for, for yeah. romantic comedy behavior. Like, the the stuff that Tom Hanks does in the back half of this movie is, you know, troubling in the same way that the stuff that Meg Ryan does in Sleepless in Seattle, as we talked about last week. From the moment he stalking. finds out it's her. It's yeah, creepy. Yeah. It's creepy. And, he, I, and he's, I he's full of a, hold, hold a half defense of that when we get. Well, there, I, yeah, I, I want to we'll talk do about something that. else. Yeah. But uh, my, my point was, is that like there is a point watching this movie where I realized that it's like it works enough in this movie as a plot swing and keeps it interesting that even though it is despicable behavior in real life and she should have had more concerns about it when she found out, maybe she did. But at some point I start I started thinking like. This is this is not offensive enough to me that it's almost like watching in like an action movie, right? Like I enjoy action movies for what they are. People get shot, people die, people punch people. That behavior in real life when you need to go have vengeance and kill everyone or just whatever the run of the mill, there's enough bad guys and I'm just going to pick them off while I do X or do Y. Like it's it's not it's despicable behavior, but there's something about watching it within the confines of an action genre 
that doesn't bother me so much. Now, there's definitely extreme examples that we've definitely called out on this show as crossing a line that makes it uncomfortable to watch. But there is something – I don't even know if it's defensible. It's just like, yeah, if you mimic this behavior that you're watching in this movie in the same way if you use violence to solve all your problems because you watch action movies – it's not good, yeah. But as like a trope for the genre, it it works. Like it keeps it's, the story interesting. It's, it's, it's fine. Shorthand. It's genre yeah. shorthand. It, it like yeah, it keeps it moving. I I don't I don't mind any of that stuff that much as long as it doesn't get into sort of you know the really toxic behavior that you see in some exactly. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so we will let let me just quickly go through the plot. You probably know the plot if you got mail. But essentially, it's Tom Hanks, it's Meg Ryan. Uh, he owns uh, or he is uh, going to inherit uh, the Barnes and Noble Fox and, and Sons. Uh, they're moving into a neighborhood run by uh, uh, Meg Ryan's character, who owns a small bookshop that was inherited by uh, her mother, called the Shop Around the Corner. A nod to uh, the the movie and uh, play that this uh, this this movie is based on the shop around the corner um and essentially they are they are already flirting and have this uh i would say very narcissistic exchange where they don't actually talk to each other they just share stories about themselves uh about their lives uh and uh, they become friends and they kind of get crushes on each other meanwhile uh, they're both in relationships uh, meg ryan with the bill pullman of this movie greg kinnear and Tom Hanks with uh, a very wonderful Parker Posey, who I also don't. They do not seem like they would be in a relationship with each other. We can talk about that. She's uh, playing. She's not. playing pure Parker Posey heel. Like, yeah, yeah, it's great. She's wonderful. great, but like, she, I don't have a whole lot to say about her because she is ultimately not that important in the movie. Neither are the best friends in this movie. She is at, at her best when she's playing sort of like a petty, yeah. uh, a petty, a petty person with a little bit too much money. Uh, like her in Best in Show is like, I think uh, maybe her career peak. But this is getting at that. Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. There is a little bit, though, like where Meg Ryan and Greg Kinnear, you can see them as a couple. And part of that is because the, the movie devotes a little more time to yeah. their relationship. Uh, and their breakup scene is super a, like, great, funny great. and sweet. I love that. That was my maybe my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, that was such where a good scene. Yeah, where they're so, they're so supportive. But it is almost a, uh, you know, we talked about this last week with Sleepless in Seattle. I know you haven't seen it, David, but like Bill Pullman and Meg Ryan have almost the same breakup in that movie where they're like you're great no you shouldn't be with me go do like it's uh but it works really well in both movies but anyways and it's also like in 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 real life relationships that end it's not like they just end and you're like shocked like everyone knows it's not working out at a certain point and it's like that's kind of like that feels that felt like authentic you know what i mean like yeah yeah we're both not uh, just have we'll both be happy (laughs) elsewhere yeah, you don't need to like grind in and ride it out till like every yeah. every like, ounce of relationship yeah. who, is burned. Who goes out. to a wedding like not like not being really into the person and like actually being into like that's you got to be some kind of weirdo like not to like denial of your feelings uh, on, on a colossal scale to get to the point where somebody running down to the aisle would actually work. Uh, so eventually, they decide to meet. They meet in a coffee shop. Uh, Tom uh, Hanks realizes that. Uh, oh, hey, wait a second. It's it's uh, Meg Ryan, who I hate, uh, because we are competing bookstores and we've been having this kind of like back and forth. Uh, but then Tom Hanks eventually kind of is like, I do really like her. He starts up a conversation and now uh, eventually the shop goes out of business, but they maintain a friendship. He kind of propositions her and says, hey, 
if this was different, I think we could be a relationship. And she's like, I got to go. I'm finally going to meet this strange internet guy. Uh, and of course, the strange internet guy ends up being Tom Hanks. Music plays happily ever after literal blue sky. Uh, and that's, I mean, it, it, it's a two hour movie, but it breezes along because it, I, I, like as disturbing as the middle act twist is, it is what keeps this movie kind of pushing along where now there's a new dynamic that affects the relationship. And this movie is all about changing uh, dynamics in their relationship as strangers and pen pals, essentially, to a kind of uh, initial meet cute situation followed by like somewhat rivals and hate to uh, a different type of pen pal relationship, which Tom Hanks has the upper hand than like a true friendship. This is this is the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan movie where I think you can make a case that at the end of the movie, you've seen a true relationship develop. And I don't know if they're going to last forever, but like they, they really like this is the movie that the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan chemistry comes from because Sleepless in Seattle, they're separated and Joe versus the volcano while they're great. Uh, there, you know, Meg Ryan's playing like three different characters that have a different sort of chemistry with Joe each time. And here, really, they they run the gambit of you know hate to love, and they just are so pleasant to watch together. Yeah, they they have their own charms, independent of one another. And then when they they get so much more time together, which is yeah. crucial because of the uh, in Sleepless in Seattle, like there is a lot of. I don't know, man. I don't buy Sleepless in Seattle. More as time goes on, I'm just like that that like little bit of sweetness and magic in that is just like the fact that it's all leading up to those two getting together doesn't work for me. Um, But in this, like, yes, the the economic circumstances that, uh, you know, are in the movie are pretty hard to get over. But like. The specific characterizations of them as uh, individuals and as a couple are so charming, and them together really seems to make sense. Like, I, I, I can't help but be swept up in the charms. Of yeah, this. when they're walking around near the end, when they're friends, and they're making jokes about what, um, what uh, Tom Hanks's character's screen name could be with the 151 New York or whatever it is, like. It's not funny jokes, but you could see how two people in the moment would find it funny. And even when he is being mocking, like she is laughing at it and then going back with why, what he says. Like it really feels like two friends uh, uh, razzing each other a little bit, but like enjoying the the tit for tat that they have. Like they, they really do seem like they're having fun, hanging out, shooting the shit. Uh which is uh, kind of rare. And most romantic comedies don't always give their character – like, one of the advantages of them not know, or at least one character maintaining a lack of knowledge of who the other one is, is that it allows them to develop a relationship outside of the other relationship of their romantic attraction through these these emails. Yeah, and obviously, like you said before, that uh, nobody would like <laughs> – this character, this this Fox character, this Jeff F-O-X. Fox character, if it wasn't for Tom Hanks playing him, F O X. Um, no one would like this this character if it wasn't for. You're quoting his his <laughs> aunt. Uh, no, his uh, brother. His brother. Oh yeah, his brother. Uh, also, that's a funny thing they do is that they give uh, people like to see uh, uh, men in uh, dad form. 
but so they get like that uh, that itch scratched, but <laughs> without him actually being a yeah. dad and carrying that baggage in. It's like a it's an interesting sort of thing that they do in rom com sometimes to show that they are like a viable uh, partner for the future if you decide to have children with them. However. They don't actually have kids, so like we're good. That's to kind go. of the they came together joke a little bit with Amy Poehler's kid. It's also kind of weird that like he was raised by two, like his grandfather and his father, by all accounts and all the information we have about Dabney Coleman and the other dude in the movie. Uh, they're they're both horrendous <laughs> yeah. individuals. Yeah, and like like I, that's maybe where the movie stretches its credulity with me. It's 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 uh is is that uh, Joe Fox turned out to be, you know, Tom Hanks, <laughs> yeah. and not and not like you know no. Donald Trump Jr. Like, or Patrick Bateman. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Bateman. Yeah, like that's that's a best case scenario. Yeah. Like at least he's just imagining the murders. <laughs> at least that guy knew how to wear a suit and understood music theory in some way. Yeah, yeah, he had some good thoughts about Genesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Really nice business cards. Yeah. Well, actually, the saddest part of this movie is when you realize that that adorable girl that's his aunt, uh, his dad, is the creepy grandpa. Yeah, yeah, it's great. She, yeah, her dad's going to be dead in <laughs> yeah, three years. Yeah, she's. Uh, I mean, right, what am I talking about? The, the age, the, the rich never die. Like, keep him in a, keep his head in. Oh. A, frozen sack donald trump is 75 oh, yeah. and only it's, it's eats fried Cheney. chicken skin he's yeah. fine yeah he's clearly got he's clearly got the the uh rich guy medicine that they're giving him now yeah it's <laughs> the dick cheney thing where they're just like switch out the parts we got uh we got a bunch of kids lined up to switch them out uh your, your liver's not doing too good uh we we got you yeah it's Throw like a gin and tonic celebrate what was that movie children of uh forgotten dreams or what was that movie called oh city of city of lost children oh yeah no you're talking about the uh the the guy that did uh amelie and uh alien resurrection movie yeah he, he, yeah where, where, like the rich guy steals the children's yeah. dreams because he can't dream himself like that's if that's not a metaphor for uh Capitalism. We're talking about <laughs> yeah the old the old rich just preying on the on the youth yeah it it, it is uh, and you see a bit of that in this movie and that's why I am a little I think the one thing holding this back and I will say this is my favorite movie we've done this month over so Joe versus the volcano yeah you were not that you were like I like Joe versus you look how high volcano, his voice went like, I think I you're really, patronizing me because you know how much I love it. All right, all right. I went from like a one out of five <laughs> to a four out of five. And that was like two okay. weeks ago. So give me give me a little time, okay? <laughs> I need to, this is a very weird movie. I need time to get behind the cult. Um, also, the fact that Meg Ryan plays three roles in the movie, I'll never get over. Uh, the fact that Joe Fox never breaks a makes a break from his family is weird because they spend so much time establishing that like his family is shitty at their core, and he kind of knows it. He knows it. Yeah, and. He is a worse person around them. So, like, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, buddy, recognize the situation you're in. Take, fine, fine, fine. Take some money, some blood money from this empire. Who cares? Oh, I would. Whatever. And then. Yeah. Yeah. And then go start a start a bookstore. Go uh, say you're going to resuscitate the shop around the corner. Start with a her. charity. 
start anything. I don't know. Move in with your best friend, Dave Chappelle, and start a cancel sitcom. (laughs) (laughs) It's a rom-com. It doesn't need to actually make sense. It could be like literally anything. It could be a fucking puppy rescue. I don't care. It could be a Dress up as a lady with Ted McGinley and live in a ladies only dormitory or whatever that is. uh, Can we talk about the biggest cheat in this movie? And I'd like to recut it if I had the skills or the connections. Um, but every time they're reading one of the emails, it uh, it's in the other person's voice, which is very charming because Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan both have lovely voices that you like listening to. But they don't know that that's what those emails sound like. Uh, so I'd like to recut the movie with all the dialogue. Uh, di- with all the dialogue for both redone by uh, Harvey Firestein. Speaking, <laughs> because <laughs> Harvey Firestein is the voice of the internet. Yeah, that's if uh, possibly that's what they were imagining as the voice. <laughs> they uh, both their dream person was both Harvey Harvey Firestein. It's just, look, it's not. It's, Here's what you gotta do, darling. You gotta go to the yeah. mattress. I'm telling you, that's how you get it. It's not necessarily their dream person. It's just maybe they watch Independence Day. It was on like Fox back when cable was a little more. Everyone watched the same thing. And so now they just have Harvey Firestein. Speaking of Independence Day. Okay. Here's another. I'm going to bring back some 90s tropes. One of my favorite 90s tropes that nobody talks about. Golden Retrievers. Oh, yeah. Every 90s movie had to have a Golden Retriever. This one has it. And in the scenes where they're reading the emails, there is even one, only one, unfortunately. I wish there were more. There is one dog reaction shot. They only go to that well once, though. (laughs) Tom Hanks is writing something. He thinks he's lying in the email. And he's like, before he decides not to lie. Because he never lies in his emails. Very important. Very important to his character. He never lies in his emails. He can't lie. He just has to sort of yeah. bend the truth, you know? He's like, he's like Hitman. The fact that- like the character of Hitman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or, uh, or uh, the mom in I, Tanya. Never lies. She never lies uh, in that movie. She's horrible. She never lies. She's horrible, but she is a speaker of truth. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think they do make, along with that, they make a really good attempt that I think is at least successful from a movie standpoint of like Tom Hanks almost compartmentalizing the, the email relationship. And his um and his friendship with Meg Ryan, like I think, even though like him making all those kind of nagging jokes about him is definitely a form of manipulation. I think from the movie's perspective, it's him trying to show like, look, he's not even like trying to convince him her of look, anything of anything. He's trying to put her off from this, it or like this movie's before Tumblr. We didn't all have degrees in women's studies simply from living on the internet. You know what I mean? This is like a time when 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 a, a man calling a woman a creature in a movie was not considered really creepy and sh- makes make you want to shiver. This is a movie where a guy offering to pay for a woman's groceries that who doesn't like him and then like sweet talking the the clerk and then the clerk going for it like at the height of male privilege the credit card thing like that is the weirdest thing ever where it's like she can't she can't get this thing done so he uses his male charm to go like this is time before that seemed creepy you know what i mean yeah women were invented in 1995 so we were getting used yeah, exactly to exactly we didn't we didn't have the internet to tell us you know, the, the proper websites to tell us don't treat women like trash Jezebel was not that, in yet. That was a really good example. That scene. Oh, my God. No, in Sleepless in Seattle 2, where you could tell what she wants to do. And because Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are so good, they almost pull it off. 
But there is these moments of like these dialogue scenes that need to work that don't. And that's a really good example of when you're watching it kind of with like a critical lens, which I don't usually do for this movie. Because like I said, it's a great just put on and zone out movie. Um, I envy you. You realize that the, the dialogue that you're, he's saying to like really do this amazing business sweet talk is terrible. It's just like, hey, see this machine? Did that work? Yeah, it does. And everyone's like, oh, my God, what a charming individual. I will use this machine. No problem. Like the 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 vocal performance and like the smile and everything is all Tom Hanks. But the dialogue is so bad. No one would. Uh, and I, I, I can't speak for anyone uh, that lives in New York, but I imagine New Yorkers especially, David, would not be having any of that. I mean, uh, the 90s were different. I don't know. Um, I was in South Jersey in the in the late 90s. It's definitely rude. I mean, usually if the if if they don't allow credit cards, it's because the credit card machine doesn't work. Yeah, it's usually not a it's usually not a speed thing because uh, paying in cash is actually way the fuck slower. Yeah, exactly. Like I, the part did not stand up to scrutiny for me. But it was mostly it was mostly like that she was like willing to forego it because it was Tom Hanks. I don't know. I would be like weird yeah. more weirded out by him. Uh, I I do want to talk about some like quick things that I like that yeah. I liked about this movie is um, number one. Tom Hanks talking about the Godfather is like great because you, you know he spends a lot of time on the internet and so like you know that he's like also like an IMDB film bro you know who just like won't yeah. shut up about so th- I thought that that was like a nice bit of like characterization in like creating this perfect evil man um you think that when he saw uh, Shawshank go to the top of the top 250 in 1998, he was like, oh, come on. Yeah, it's like he's like, it's an almost perfect movie, but the perfect movie yeah. is The Godfather. And then he saw like, um, then he saw a new Tarantino movie and was like, no, that's the perfect movie. And then and then The Dark Knight came out and forget about it. That's yeah. that's that's been Inception blew his mind. It's all he talks about. Uh, Meg Ryan and him had to get divorced. He's like a 60. <laughs> he's a 60 year old guy who's into typewriters and The Dark Knight. Yeah. yeah, and Joker memes. <laughs> uh, the other thing, the other small thing, Greg Kinnear in his wonderfully massive baggy suit yeah. in, on, on the TV scene with Jamie. Do you remember this? He's, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, yes. Baggy suit. That is that is just chef's kiss. Oh, it, it matches Greg Kinnear's personality where he's this sort of um, – he has a sense of movement about any sort of joke he's making or any sort of like proposition he's making and like it makes him so much more charming and like the suit is just there to like make his little movements bigger yeah and it's also like such a great touch from the costume department to like make it just like this is a guy who thinks this suit looks good on him you know and like thinks it makes him look important and professional and like it's kind of got this like it's it's got that like brown academic vibe to it you know like green brown Mm -hmm. something like very you know like earthy color but like it's just does not fit him and he does not sort of (laughs) he doesn't get that like it's kind of like an academic donald trump suit you know what i mean like it's it's that kind of thing like trump has those ties that go down to his uh yeah his uh his knees um But it's it's a, such a small does detail. Does Trump that insist I love. on tying his own ties? Is that what's going on? I think he's no. He, he he does it to seem thinner. Like is he really? <sighs> yeah. No. That's like he he gets mad if the ties are too. He he's, short. he must be really like uh, sensitive about his weight because he watched You've Got Mail and they talk about how they're really hoping that they're not going to be fat for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and they spend a, a fair amount of time saying, what if he's fat? Cause that's like a thing that I guess you had to bring up in a movie about internet dating. 
Thankfully, we've moved past that. I haven't heard a reference to that since 1998. This was also 1998, the, the age before people were able to upload photos of themselves. Yeah, everything was a surprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this was before that glorious era when everyone could uh, use uh, anime pornography to stand in for uh, their, their who they are as a person. No, it wasn't. I mean, yeah, yeah no, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Greg Kinnear is so good because he's such a an attractive guy. But the reason why they never quite figured him out as like a leading man is because he's also like the worst. Like he, in this movie, he's so good. At truly being just like this, on paper, very smart, intelligent guy who also has all of these very understandably frustrating, like, positions that Meg Ryan gets upset with. But he's still just so – like, you want to give him a big hug. But, uh, yeah, he is – he's so good in these movies of playing the the kind of the schlubby heel or something like that where uh, he – you want a whole movie about him uh, pursuing his, like um, – his dreams of uh you know taking down the the the, the big guy and being the 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 supporter of everyone else. Greg Kinnear's had a really strange career of a two year span. He did movie forty three, The Anchorman two, and Heaven is for Real and Murder of a Cat. That's like like what <laughs> what is this guy's career? Like But like why couldn't they find a good place for him? Forever. I mean, I guess like these kind of movies, it's just the same reason Tom Hanks moved into um, a different kind of career and then he managed to impress us in other ways. Um, it's that this, but this, this kind of movie disappeared. Yeah, it did. The ones that do exist were more like in a Kendrick age. Early twenties, not thirties, forties. I can I think it transitioned to the Nicholas Sparks. I kind stuff. of. I also kind of have another like slight theory about why this kind of movie died is because they stopped note learning. Like they stopped filming them. Like when I say like Nor Ephron, like this movie has got its flaws. I think, but it's also really well photographed. It's beautiful yep. to look at the colors are well thought out like there's no color correct this is like not a heavily color corrected movie it was shot on film clearly it, it's just a it's just gorgeous to look at even though like you don't wouldn't think like oh you've got mail is this gorgeous movie a lot of those these movies like 10 things i hate about you or oh, not 10 things i hate about you um how to lose a guy in 10 days i'm forgetting the number movies how do like a lot of these <laughs> movies like so bright and they've got so many colors to them and they like they're over color corrected and they're all they feel washed out when you look at the trailers at least because like i don't see yeah. movies that are advertised to be that bright and sort of jarring like this is a movie that feels very like handsomely made like really beautiful to look at and it, it does feel like there's a craft to it that when they started turning them out like crazy it wasn't that like the genre was bad. It was never the problem. It was never the genre. It was the same thing that's that happened to musicals. It was the same thing that happened to westerns. It was the same thing that's it's the same thing that's gonna happen eventually to superhero movies. Which is just there. You know, if they don't keep innovating and making them with like a level of care, and you just turn them out because you know people are going to see them, well, eventually people are gonna see them less. Well, and it did happen with superhero movies. Yeah. Like there was a, there was a 1989's Batman started a superhero boom. Oh yeah, that kind of went that kind of went to like 2007. They, they were just crapping them when out. it truly 
Yeah, when it truly did crash, they they, they took like these Catwoman, the Fantastic Four movies from there. They they like had this idea of what superhero movies were, and they're like they're just not profitable. Even the big ones like Batman Begins, not a huge hit. Uh, Superman Returns, not a big hit. And uh, people were like, we're probably going to be moving on until both the Dark Knight and Iron Man, and then that transitions to like interconnected universe. So I I think we're a hundred percent due for that crash, yeah. but we're actually on our second super. Hero. But I mean, we also we the thing is, people say that like the the movie, the rom com died. I don't actually agree with that. I think that like the Hollywood rom com kind of died in its form that it was in. But like the there are still rom coms being made, and I think they're like way better than they used to be. Like the Big Sick was just two years ago, right? Like that was yeah. such a good movie. Love Simon was last year. Like that was that was a that yeah. was a movie people really liked. Like I'm not a huge fan of Crazy Rich Asians. I have a lot of socio-political issues with that film but like that was still like a very specific charming rom-com in its own way like i i still think it was like it had it had things about it that i think were really good in spite of its problems that we won't get into la la land for instance is another one kind of well i i think you're right and i think actually the difference with why they don't make these kind of rom-com movies anymore is the reason they don't make any movies like in a certain way anymore in that the 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 ones that you talked about which i agree are romantic comedies are cons- they they're sold by concept and critical reviews and that's why people watch them right same thing with a lot of action movies nowadays a lot of these genres the idea of a movie star isn't as important as it was back in these days so like this kind of like 90s rom-com was all based on who the stars were you know roberts uh, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, Mel Gibson, like all these Tom Cruise, like I guess he wasn't in many romantic comedies, but like that's that was the selling point. It wasn't concept. It wasn't like we're going to make a really good movie with these talented writers and directors in some cases and like and soar on critical reviews or these smaller budgeted things. They were all based in the same way action movies at the time and most other genre movies at the time were based primarily on uh, stars drawing an audience. And formula. And formula. And formula. Yeah. And so. Which sucks. You're right. They still make. No, that's like boring as hell. Um, which is why they became a little bit of a joke and movie stars so- stopped uh, making sure movies were always a success. And so they transitioned into understandably when you're not um, – when you when you can't guarantee a romantic comedy is going to do $200 million or like I think this movie did $180 million at the box office, your budgets go down. So your stars get smaller and so it does transition into the ones that break out like um, – the big sick or even earlier on, like my big fat, big fat Greek wedding. Like those are romantic comedies. They just don't have this kind of like star wattage that we associated. Yeah. So I mean, like that's the thing that I think I miss about you've got mail, which is like, I love, again, like I think a lot of rom-coms have moved to TV too. You got like crazy ex-girlfriend, you've got sex in the city. You've got like, you girl, I mean like, like, uh, you're the worst is kind of that. I don't know. Like, there's yeah. a lot of shows that are kind of fulfilling that rom-com void, but uh, I still really love and I miss like the sort of very well put together, beautiful $40 million movie that was able to shoot on location, have really great stars, charming dialogue, a lot of great supporting actors. Good supporting characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I wish they weren't all white straight people but like you know uh, i still there's there's yeah chappelle there's an itch that's not be yeah dave chappelle i meant the, the leads um oh yeah but uh dave chappelle does actually like have one plot moment and then he goes away 
Yeah, he has the he has the big moment, the big reveal. Is is he's the first one to to see. Um, but yeah, and I mean, like, like there's 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 something to be lost there of like it's in the same way that like I'm a my my favorite genre, as you may know, is musicals, and like yeah. I, I will admit that the musicals of the fifties and sixties got bloated and they made too many of them. And they, they're completely, the makers of those musicals are completely responsible for the musical dying. Um, it is not the audience's fault. It is not the audience's fault that they went out of fashion. It's the fault of the people who turned out crappy musicals, but I still miss those crappy musicals because they they filled that kind of itch that I had in my, in, in the back of my head. And even a bad one still was like, you know, it still had money behind it. And now you get the, you know, of all these dead genres that we talk about, they become niche. They become things that somebody has to really yeah. want to put on or they have really low budgets. And like, I, I, I think I'd prefer to watch, you know, the, the big six, uh, to the sort of, I don't know, to the, like the, uh, how to lose guys and guy in 10 days, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to miss like, you know, something like this or, or for instance, we're just talking about Moonstruck. That's a movie that probably would not get the budget. It would probably get made today. It probably wouldn't have the budget it had though. You know, also, by the way, wasn't that this John Patrick Shanley, right? Moonstruck. Oh yeah. Yes, John, he who did, did uh, uh, Joe versus the volcano. Joe versus the volcano. Yeah. And yeah, he did. He did Congo. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, the that also doesn't fit in anywhere. No, I didn't see it. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's bad. I, I it? I've never seen Doubt. <laughs> I don't know what it's Doubt's about. Pretty good. It's a. It's like it's. It's got the problem that I think a lot of these like um, movies that are adapted from plays have, which is just like seven locations stayed. <laughs> can we talk about She Loves Me? She loves me. Yeah. Can I? Can I talk about She Loves Me? Yeah, you can. Okay. So shop around the corner. Oh, you know the shop around the corner. The place. Yes. <laughs> or yes. whatever perfumery the play i think it was right yeah. so that got turned into shopper in the corner and then shopper in the corner was not next to, the next adaptation was not actually you've got mail it was actually a musical called okay she loves me if you want if you want you've got mail but like great and from uh jerry bach and sheldon harnick the uh lyricist and musician behind fiddler on the roof then you got to check this out it's fantastic it's like this delightful uh, it's it, the, the, it takes out a lot of the problematic elements, I think, which is that like, or it doesn't include the problematic elements of like two stores. It's two people who work at the same perfumery, and they okay. are in a lonely hearts like letter writing thing. And it is just it. it is it is that same. It scratches the same itch you're gonna have from uh, you've got mail, but it's just better it's just so delightful and there's a really good production of it um from a couple years back that was on broadway the roundabout theater production and they filmed it it's a really wonderfully filmed production and i recommend that yeah so if you want if you want more you've got mail and ernst lubish is not doing it for you and uh that's that's the uh that's the one i would go for it's the guy from um zachary levi from chuck is in it and La- oh interesting laura, ben- laura benanti's in that production as well as is gavin creel who you may not know if you only watch movies and tv but if you're a theater person he's like the fucking best um and then uh who else is in it the production was um somebody else that was really famous or some somebody else that's really good i don't know um jane krakowski yeah jane krakowski was in that production oh, okay so yeah like just uh just a quick wreck worth worth checking out and it's it's got the same like the uh this production specifically it's got that kind of grand budapest hotel level of detail to the set that like pink kind of you know wonderful confection i will check that out um i i really like this dynamic i really like shop around the corner although it's been a while since i've seen it um i do think 
again, the, the, the area where this type of movie really works for me is this idea of having them develop a relationship outside of their love, which is just a while their love relationship is going on, which is just something you don't get to see that often in romance movies. Like, yeah, those th- those two things are always connected. And as a result, it's the joke of romantic comedies, right? Like th- you're not seeing people fall in love. You're seeing them fall in lust because everything that they do, uh, all their like charming dates they go on is still kind of submerged in this like, I really want to fuck you and I really find you attractive and I'm in love with you right now. And the thing that you've got males able to do really well is um, you see a true like relationship blossom outside of of romance. Um, not totally outside because there's clearly some chemistry there, but uh, you do get to see that. And so that makes the the pitch of them at the end falling in love and living quote unquote happily ever after it makes it more viable to me because uh not that it matters one way or the other i mean the movie ends who cares what happens to him in some respects but like you're, you're seeing a dynamic that exists in relationships which is ups and downs highs and lows and you see them kind of work through some of that stuff I and mean, it's the charm of it you want to you want to leave feeling like uh like you've gotten some sort of closure with their relationship and that you know they're gonna they're gonna have this long life of of love together yeah. and you know that gives you hope for your future and it's like that's the beauty of what what you know hollywood propaganda can do is is it can make you just feel good and and numb the pain exactly um this also uh we talked about how romantic comedies we didn't even pick out the line in sleepless in seattle i didn't think it had one carrie last week mentioned that uh someone at her work was like oh this line was the one that like got me in my heart um it was so non-resonant to any of us i can't even remember oh i remember i know the line was it was it what's in that moment i realized i would never again be sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah, that was that it. Wasn't the, that was it. That was yeah. Wake me up before you go. Yeah, this is this is clearly me like trying to pass a test that for like do a book report for a book I didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the end, weren't we all a little sleepless in Seattle? The real sleepless uh, in Seattle was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> uh, no, we talked about like the as good as it gets line where the um you want me to you make me want to be a better person, which. It's it's kind of oh, yeah. in the context of the movie. It's something that makes people go, oh, my God, I love that. Or like you complete me from Jerry Maguire, like these simple lines that it's what people like walked out of the theater thinking about, like, man, if someone said that to me uh, and this movie has like that, like I wanted it so bad to be you is like and it's like almost the line that ends the movie is one of those perfect rom-com lines. Yeah. Yeah, because before that, right before that, there's a really, really good uh, moment where Tom Hanks, uh, with just just the right amount of discomfort, says, for as long as we both shall live. Because it is him on a ledge. It's him basically saying, like, I'm about to do something crazy. I'm about to reveal this big thing to you. I, I want you to not go to this date. I want you to ditch the date and just end up with me and then this doesn't have to, you know, go that way. And then I, I love the moment where she's like, I need to go see what this is. Like, it, it's so perfect for the movie that she doesn't – it's so unbullshitty. It's actually like a yeah. really real moment when she's like, no, I need, to, I need to go see who this person is. Like, people are not built that way. They can't just be like, 
<laughs> if people can't fucking watch, pick what they want to watch on Netflix, why would they be able to pick between <laughs> two people that seem very, very interested in her and uh, make her both super happy, even if it's the same person? Like, that moment is really great and real, and it and you know that, like, Tom Hanks gets it. It's sort of like his, um, it's not quite a uh, equalization of the power dynamics, but it is like a moment where something gets taken away from Tom Hanks, like he gets rejected as who he is, but then um, when he comes into the park, she's immediately converted. She has no moment of, like, tell me why this makes sense. She's just like, I wanted it to be you. And so those two lines really tie together uh, what the whole movie is about, which is about um, people have these inflated expectations, these weird expectations about relationships. And even if somebody seemingly meets all your expectations, sometimes that, that, that great big X in the sky, that big variable um, can still call you away from something you know is basically a sure thing. Um, and I, I love I love that kind of uh, the way that those two big lines in the movie tie together. I think it's really great work of Nora Ephron, who stumbles a lot in these two movies. Yeah, and there's also one line that I – the other line that I really, really like um, that I think – again, I don't know if this is the movie's perception or just Meg Ryan's perception, but I kind of – it was the line that I think – took away some of the excuse of like the it's just business stuff from Tom Hanks persona and put it a little bit like, yeah, this is bullshit that the movie was judging Hanks a little bit because he doesn't fight back against it when it's thrown in his face, which is the uh, when he goes to Meg Ryan's house to give her flowers after uh, the shop has closed. And he repeats the line that he's been saying throughout the movie. Like, you know, it's not it's not uh, personal. It's just business. And she's like, I keep, people keep saying that it's you know it's bullshit like it wasn't personal that just means it wasn't personal to you like it was personal to me like I cared about what I did and this was important to me and like I do think that is both a very good line and a very good moment the all it means is it wasn't personal to you but I also think that is the part where the movie doesn't indict Tom Hanks a little bit uh, yeah and, and and I do think that the movie um, though I am in agreement with you guys that there is something manipulative about from the Dave Chappelle moment onward. Um, and I actually don't even think the moment when he goes into the uh, the coffee shop and talks to her with, you know, knowing. No. That I don't actually think that's manipulative because I don't think it's planned at all. I think he's just like, I can't fucking help myself. I need, to, I need to go on this date. I got excited about this fucking date and I need to yeah. go. That was all his hopes and dreams. And then she's kind of insulting to him. And then he gets defensive. Like, you can see how, like, he he may have walked into – not that it's anyone's fault or anything. But, like, you can tell that the dynamic switches so quickly that he's still trying to catch up and doesn't handle it well. Yes. And I, I really like that whole date moment because, like, it is weird. It is awkward because he's thinking on – He's not he's not doing some sort of long uh, con. He, he's thinking on the tip of his toes about how he can make these two, how he can square this circle. He doesn't want to lose his fantasy either. Like, yeah. Which. It was a fun thing is um, describe describe the character of this of, of uh, Joe Fox to somebody who is not thinking of this movie and like have them guess what actor would play that person without telling them that it's a romantic comedy. Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. Yeah, Michael Douglas. <laughs> Michael Douglas. That's one. 
uh, yeah, Martin. Uh, well, uh, Charlie Sheen. I guess Charlie Sheen from Wall Street. Yeah, that's yeah. where I was going. Oh my Anthony God, Anthony Hopkins. Charlie Sheen would be perfect. <laughs> uh, Leonardo DiCaprio from The Wolf of Wall Street. Holy shit, Charlie Sheen. That's I want. I want to see that movie now. Uh well, I, I forget if we talked about this last week, but Charlie Sheen was offered the lead in Sleepless in Seattle. You really? So he didn't it's take possible it. that there's a world he didn't take he didn't take it or they they passed or whatever but he was on the list of like I think we talked about list. how crazy it was yeah he was on the short list so there is a universe out there where Charlie Sheen accepted Meg Ryan was in it and then they made you've got mail together Char- Charlie so- Sheen went from charming uh charming 18 to 24 year old who's naive to the world yet being abused by it um to insufferable playboy for the rest of his career from fucking 25 onward and so like the idea of him coming in and being like this sympathetic sad dad just does not compute like that could uh, not kid, that could uh, not compute uh, the kid is uh, with me all fucking weekend uh, <laughs> <laughs> gotta yeah he fucked that nanny when uh, the nanny came on yeah or gotta, maybe the nanny can come Oh fucker! I'll just have some ketamine while the nanny watches. Little rascal. Yeah, here's a here, here's a C note. Don't tell nobody. Just to let you know, I've come in all the books at Fox and Books. <laughs> he wouldn't be responding to our emails because he would be fucking all of the baristas, baristos, uh, whatever at uh, at Fox Books baristas. The second email would have been a picture of his cock. <laughs> <laughs> But in ASCII. <laughs> You've got dick pic. Um, uh, he probably had uh, prodigy had lo- anyway. <laughs> Why is this taking so long to load? Oh, my gosh. Dent. 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 I don't know. Maybe it's not a dick. Maybe it's just a big thumb. Dent. Yeah. Dent. Nah, it's a, that's a dick. Yeah, let's do a whole <laughs> sidecast about, like, internet pornography in 1998. <laughs> it could be the Pope. Could still be the Pope. Maybe it's an upside down picture of him giving me the thumbs up. <laughs> Quick, I'm going to print this out because I'll never find it again. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we can get into little moments we missed. I just have one, um, which is a, just a funny vernacular they use that I don't think anyone used besides Hollywood screenwriters uh, to discuss big box stores. It's like, who, dis- who describes going to Barnes and Nobles as buying books discount? Like, no one thinks. They just think they have a good selection. They get stuff. But this whole movie room. They were so expensive, though. Well, I know. But, like, just this idea that, like, people like discount books. Like, no, people just, like, no one refers to it as buying discount. Like, (laughs) yeah, that actually applies more to. Burlington Book Factory. (laughs) Yeah, that is, like, a good, like, Walmart or, like, a price club or. Yeah, it's places that that. don't sell just one thing. But Barnes yeah. & Noble had an insane markup because they didn't know they were going to survive. So they were like grabbing every dollar they could. Whereas Amazon, the reason that they really thrived was because they won through taking on an insane amount of debt because of their discounts. Yeah. And they basically built up this massive capital debt machine that could afford to sustain this amount of debt. And they weren't profitable until whatever, three, four years like ago. three, four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and then eventually they became profitable, and now they're this like weird company that like most of their money is probably made on like server farms and shit. So like it yeah. became a whole other thing. But like for Barnes and Noble, they were like, no, we need to make money every year. So uh, yeah, thirty dollar DVDs. That sounds great. 
even that though, like no one thinks of going like when you order out something off of Amazon, you're not like, all right, gonna go buy discount. Like it's just where you buy stuff. It's all in one place. Like I, the convenience, I think, was more of the selling point than the the discount. But this this whole movie <laughs> is like we sell discount. Books. We got coffee. Like, you can't get okay. coffee anywhere else. Yeah. Legal stimulant. We, we sell cheap books and legal stimulants. Yeah. He's acting like he's the only place in New York that has coffee. The only place where you can sit and read. Actually, that's kind of true. Like, there are not a lot of great places to sit and read in New York City. Is there a Barnes & Noble in, in New York? We do. We have, a, we have a Barnes & Noble. I believe it's a Barnes & Noble. Yeah, it's Barnes & Noble. On, like, I'm there. I pass there a lot. It's like north side of Union Square. And it's, uh, it's okay. where, um, it's where what's her face? Um, Rose McGowan got... Uh, uh, yelled at a she yelled at a trans woman and that got her into hot water because she was being terrible it's also where um what's his face the former director of the fbi gave his book talk all the problematic people okay. go there to give their book talks oh comey 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 was there yeah like it seems who it's goes to a York, comey I mean, book signing <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to see my favorite author reporters oh, yeah, yeah yeah basically if you're a political reporter and you get like the b-string lead ed crassing you go crassingstein goes there <laughs> oh yeah here's the guy that everyone hates for, for wildly different reasons yeah, exactly here goes there howard schultz goes there goes to see his buddy comey <laughs> People can we just make we should make this podcast making fun of centrists for, <laughs> for the next few minutes we're on? This is kind of a centrist movie. Yeah. When we were uh, referring to the Fox family, it's true. I think – I don't know if we call them billionaires, but we're, we're supposed to say what? Like the well-off? Because billionaires is a slur according to Howard Schultz. <laughs> this is this is Damn honestly it. the most centrist, radically centrist movie imaginable. Because it's like oh, yeah. it's a liberal woman and like a conservative guy who doesn't actually like believe any of the like anti-gay stuff, just the money stuff. And and uh, you know why can't they find common ground? Even though he's taking away her ability to survive. I, I mean, ostensibly, not really, because you know she'll be fine. But uh, yeah, it's like it's the perfect centrist movie. It is. Uh, and Steve Zahn, I didn't want to gloss over this. He has a six-bedroom apartment for 400 bucks a month because of rent control. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's just good? like the uh, oh, hello, right? guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's just like uh, George Shane Giegler and uh, and Gil Faison. I mean, six, <laughs> I, I think no matter where you're living, six bedrooms for 400 bucks on 98 is pretty good. I think that's good. I think that's good in the, in the 40s. <laughs> Yeah, for four hundred dollars a month. I don't know about the four. Like the rent control started in, when it was still New Amsterdam for that. <laughs> so, do we have any final thoughts on You've Got Mail? Uh, me? Do I have any final thoughts? Let me look through my. I've sure. some notes. Um, Amazon. Mail privilege, capitalist pig. Uh, <laughs> yeah, article one. <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, <laughs> the means of production must be. <laughs> oh, yeah. One thing. Okay. I love that there's a media fucking sensation about a bookstore closing like that. <laughs> like there's a million news stories on the TV about like the shop around the corner is closing like because one columnist writes an article. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was that was that was nuts. That's but I do like the crazy. fact that it doesn't help. Like she's still going the fuck oh, yeah. out of business. No, I mean that's like people just like protesting. No one bought a book. It's one of my yeah, favorite things no, about no. the fantasy world. Of this I, I love that about this movie. That was wild. 
It does make sense, though, that, like, maybe you could get, like, a little bit of buzz. It, it, I mean, it probably makes more sense in the modern parlance, right? Where, like, well, people you, would get, like, get internet like a, activisty you, you, about shit. You'd get, like, a, a, a Gothamist article or something. Yes. And people would be like, oh, my God, we should not we should not shop at Warskuka anymore because this guy's an asshole. And then uh, everybody's going to keep going there. The articles happen. It's just that it's, it happens, like, weekly in this, in this city. So everyone's like, oh, another one bites the dust. It's kind of like... Just just like who's next that kind of thing but uh the, yeah the fact that people would actually come out with fucking picket signs is uh, utter fantasy but the fact that the protesters would get all up in arms and then the moment that the time comes to actually support the people that uh need to you know survive after this and people wouldn't pay with their dollars or continually shop at the store like everybody has seen that story happen in their life before i'm not saying that's the average but i'm saying everybody's seen that story before where everyone gets all up in arms to to, to protect some sort of business and they go out of business a year later with no fanfare i was uh i was listening to the book on tape of like the war on late night for conan and um, it just it just reminds me of like when when he was about to go off the air at NBC, everyone was like, we're watching him. We're supporting him. Then he got on his TBS show Instantly. and everyone was like, yeah, we're watching. And then like two weeks later, everyone I, – I, I don't think I've watched Conan since, since well, that well, second. What are you going to do? On turn TBS? on TBS when there's NBC sitting there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like Conan, but I mean, I, I was – yeah. I, st- like, I, I still like Conan. I like it also. He's my but favorite like- talk show host still. Yeah, yeah he, he's, he's great. I, and the, the weird thing is now I listen to every – well, yeah, it's not like I'm watching a competing talk show to be fair. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just, it's just not a format that ever interested me. I was actually charmed by this movie in a way I, I've seen it a bunch of times, and every time I'm like, yeah, it's a typical rom com. I was charmed by this movie and found uh, interesting, like, context in it this time about the fact that, like, how much relationships have changed, how much the business has changed, or, or I guess how little those two factors have changed as well. Um, and I, I I was weirdly unbothered by – call me a monster. I was weirdly unbothered by the Tom Hanks thing this, this go around. I think maybe I got like uh, up in arms about it like five years ago when I was watching the movie and I was like, this is very creepy. I cannot enjoy this. Uh, but I watched it this time and it, it kind of – something about it felt more vulnerable and playful than – uh, predatory and obviously I'm aware that that's a big Tom Hanks factor but I, I'm shocked that I didn't come out of this hating it because I remember being like oh man there's some weird fucking uh, predatory uh, catfishing shit going on at the end of this movie and by the end of it I was like about to cry which is like a, 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 a true 180 from the last time I watched it so I'm really glad we watched it yeah, I, I choke up at the end of this movie pretty consistently. It just, like, again, they are so charming. I do think this is the quintessential uh, 90s romantic comedy. Like, it it has all the, the, the tropes. It does them very well. And it has, like, our two best uh, 90s romantic comedy stars with, like, some of the best chemistry. It's why we did this month. Like, they were in three movies together. They were very good in all of them. But this is the one that really solidified this idea of uh, uh, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, like have this amazing chemistry because it just it doesn't exist in the same way in the other two movies, even if they are both very good in them. So um, 
Yeah, this I mean, this will be one of those movies where every year I can put on and I can watch and I can really enjoy myself. Uh, and I'd love for Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan to do another movie together at some point. Um, if I mean, really, we talked about why this genre doesn't really exist anymore. But truly, if anyone was tr- going to attempt a revival, I think the best bet you have is to do another Hanks Ryan big budget studio movie. Um and if it was successful, I think that that paves the way for more of them again. But, you know, this is kind of the uh, America Sweethearts of the 90s. And I think this is the movie why if you ever wanted to explain it to someone in the future that you would you would go just watch this movie and you'll you'll get it. Yeah, I uh, I didn't have the same emotional reaction um, you had. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have been watching while I was playing Apex Legend. Um, <laughs> but I did enjoy it. You were crying because you finally won. I did win, but that was not during the movie. It was after the movie. Maybe that would have... I was in a bad mood when I was watching it because I kept getting killed. Um, I think that I, I, I think that I wish that these types of movies were still getting made, but I, I do hope that we're in a place now where we've learned lessons from these kinds of movies and the fact that the internet does exist and there are more critical eyes that are like looking at these things and actually thinking about what they're really yeah. saying means that, you know, I would, I would rather not have this and instead have the... Um, the films like uh, like The Big Sick or um, like Obvious Child, for instance. Obvious yeah. Child is amazing. Big Sick is amazing. But even on a smaller scale, I guess like a less reputable scale is um, to all the boys I've loved. I haven't seen that, but I've heard really good things. I need to check that out. It's it's very charming. Yeah. It checks out on a lot of the gender issues that typically become a problem in these rom-coms. And like, I am glad that the, that space exists now. Uh, in a different fashion in, in these like sort of like if Netflix is going to lean into that and be like women like watching rom-coms they miss rom-coms let's make a bunch targeting different audiences uh, their whole thing is let's make niche content for niche audiences and make sure everybody has something on Netflix for them yeah there's not an, there's too many things getting made for them to micromanage them so the one benefit of this of this like Netflix thing one of the one of the big benefits is that they don't have the time they just to, want content yeah, exactly so they just let the creative people do their work and you know yeah. that's usually a good thing like let the people do what they want to do you know you can have no in there and stuff and that can be helpful but at the same time uh something like like um like you've got mail is just so obviously been noted to death by studios and and you know like you could you just feel you just feel starbucks in the meeting uh, um <laughs> during their <laughs> one scene so like you know something like like where we're at now with with uh with rom-coms i think is is, is actually a pretty solid place to be like 20, 2019 is not the best time, but it's also pretty good entertainment wise, I would say. Well, I think Love, Simon's a good call out for like, even though that's more like in the John Hughes teen yeah. uh, romantic comedy vein. But like it does. It's like a really charming, good version of that for a new audience, uh, even if it's not necessarily um like it's not doing something incredibly different with the form besides the protagonist uh, itself, but like it's hitting all those notes and doing them really well. Yeah, and I and and that's that's good that it can exist uh, that way. Or or I haven't seen to all the boys I've loved before, but yeah, I I, I do agree that one of the problems with this is that if someone were to make the you've got mail right now, it would. It would approach parody. You do need to find different ways to to make it fresh and interesting. 
But again, I it's it's I hope they continue to become like a love like uh, the way that Love Simon was really good this year. I am fine if the romantic comedy in this kind of way becomes a like the western. Like yeah. we don't get that many westerns anymore, but usually we get one or two really good ones a year. That have and and if that's how uh, the, it ends up going with romantic comedies, I am fine. There's always going to be people who want to make them because romance and comedy are two yeah. things that people love, and people grow up on these movies. But people who are making them now have a take on them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, I think that people. It, it, we're getting into the stage where this, you're not the revisionist rom-com, but rom-coms that represent people who were unrepresented is just a huge thing. You know, it was a really, you know, yeah. a really good rom-com that I really loved that kind of fits into this. It was like, like 10 years ago. Do you remember? Definitely. Maybe. Uh, no, I mean, I, I remember it. I haven't. That's seen a it. really good one. That's kind of like that's kind of like a smart take on on the romantic comedy formula, and like creates mystery and and stuff like that. That's one that I feel like would be a good model too. Is like what can be done. Um, that's that's got three potential partners in it though. So that's like it doesn't have that same purity of the uh, of the you've got mail thing. Uh, um, and there was also what was that destination wedding? Was that any good? I haven't seen that. There is um. But there's one that I kind of uh, – it's probably the last classical one that I can think of or like 90s classical, I should say. Uh, what's that one with Justin Timberlake? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like, just Friends or something like that or um, Friends with Benefits. Friends, friends know, with Benefits. That's right. It, I always want to call it No Strings Attached because well, it came out, the, came same out year. the same year with like the same premise. But like that was a really good movie. Like I remember really enjoying it and that again, uh, I would say even Easy A uh, leans more towards the high school yeah. thing. but. It has that kind of like pleasant, I just enjoy watching this and the plot keeps moving forward that I get from these types of movies. Um, and I, I'm not trying to say that to diminish them. It's just it's a real pleasure I get from a very specific type of movie that, um, you know, just they don't make as much. Yeah. Anymore. Or music and lyrics. That was a nice one. I haven't seen that. That's, uh, That's uh, Hugh Grant. Hugh one? Grant and Drew, Drew Barrymore, and it's just two people writing a song together. They're just writing one song, and the whole movie is just them learning, like getting to know each other, and then eventually falling in love with each other through the process of writing music. Like it's pure romantic comedy. It's still, it's oh, still. You know what I? You know what I really like, um, which I, <laughs> which I haven't seen in a little bit. Uh, Fever Pitch. I really enjoy. I haven't too. seen that. Is it the, the the which one? The uh, the British or the American? The American, the, I haven't seen the, the Jimmy movie. Fallon one. Uh, the G- he's yeah, he's like, ruined for he, me. I can't, I can't. When I saw it, he wasn't hosting a talk show. He was still like that kind of funny guy from Saturday Night yeah. Live. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember like again, same breezy charm. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show, Thanks David. For having me. Uh, you're always a blast. Uh, hope we'll hope we'll have you on again. Yeah. Soon we do have another musical May coming up around the corner, and we're looking at old musicals. So it feels like. We should probably figure out something there. When you may, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do a musical may. Yeah. Uh, Great. Let me know what, what movies you're thinking about, and I'll. Uh... Yeah, we haven't nailed it down, but I think Peter, that's what the direction we're leaning, right? Like some older classical. I would musicals. like to do. I'm thinking either like pennies half from old heaven, ones pennies and then from half heaven, new ones. Pennies from heaven. I mean, pennies from heaven's good. It's maybe it's it's one of my favorite musicals. It's maybe not my fa- it's maybe not the one that brings me the most traditional pleasure, um, but it's 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 like um, it's the Unforgiven of musicals. It's super depressing. Yeah, All yeah, I know it's very is depressing. That it's, uh, I think it's better than Unforgiven is- by a wide margin, actually. <laughs> 
Bob Mackie costumes, uh, amazing music. The dancing is fantastic, but like the story, everything is 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 propping up the story and like and what it's trying to say about about the depression and about musicals and about music and about denial and all these yeah. other things. It's really wonderful. Um, it's really and good. it's it's you might it like is it. still pleasurable. It's still it it still brings you that same pleasure that you get from really good. It's got Bubsy Berkeley style m- numbers in it. It's got you know there's it's got great dancing really and like fantastic. musical sequences, but they're just just like and they have the same charms that I think a 30s or 40s musical would but it's just surrounded by depression if, and sadness and if you were to watch scenes from it you would you I could pull a good 30 40 minutes from this movie that would make you think that it was just a pure fun uh, musical yeah but then it's well, even the, even the back of the DVD cover I, I it has like Bernadette Peters it's, and Steve yeah. Martin and sailor outfits with the big uh microphone oh yeah yeah and they're like you know snapping their fingers and you're like this is really just trying to trick people at this point. yeah i mean it's it's uh it's a really yeah, it's a really good movie though um i think that that would be a good movie to watch in conjunction with like the uh the top hats the sort of the old um yeah you know uh gave it gay divorcee those style movies are like are because that that is kind of what that's commenting on and they the, i think that that would yeah. be even like the same week you would want to watch maybe one of those Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers movies with that because they're so in conversation with each other i don't think you should watch pennies from heaven without seeing at least one of those depression era musicals peter have you seen any uh, top hat or swing time or any of those i think no no i don't know what any of those words mean i would i would recommend the gate of orsay it's kind of it's maybe it's not the best one but i think it's the most of that style I th- and it's got fine uh, david you and carrie can be producers for a musical may month and you can pick all the movies. well i mean we already knew that yeah you're oh, oh you're, you're asking me i, oh, I think i oh, think yes. swing- i accept your offer yes thank you so much <laughs> there will be no money you can guess no money. Uh, yeah if we're making uh, money by may you will get uh, a cut of the 18 dollars we're making fuck that we got three years to make up for funds <laughs> <laughs> so, like we got we're like, it's like studio financing we got to make up a lot of other payments we have you done all that have you done um, all that jazz you haven't yet no we were going to it's a long story yeah i know i remember i remember care. you did cabaret and said you're gonna yeah. do all that jazz this year yeah um <laughs> come over to my are house you, are you like trying to jedi mind trick us like your voice got lower and closer to the mic like <laughs> you're doing all that jazz this year you're gonna um, do all that jazz and you're gonna like it it wasn't streaming on any of the the criterion services uh, related services either and so it was just like oh well i, I wish we would have watched watch all that jazz. now we could have done yeah, the third too. option yeah. that i can't legally suggest on here <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It's been so long since I pirated anything. I do Wait, not what? know how to. Do I, I don't. I, well, I didn't say anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Tom uh, Hanks, David. Yeah, David. Uh, what do you have to promote? Uh, you can go to my Twitter. Uh, I have a. I have a, a. Twitter. It's a new Twitter account. It's um, David Clarkey. That's D A V I D C L A R K I E. Because that's how people used to pronounce my name, and so I figured I would make my lean in all that. Yeah, because. You know, my normal name is not taken. So yeah, David Clarkey and um, subscribe to Drawfee. And I, my, the videos that I am very lucky, like just so lucky to edit because they're so funny and there's so much fun. Like the, the people making them are so good. Um, the ones that I, I, I personally get to edit uh, are on Thursdays and Saturdays. And um, I'll be posting more about that on my Twitter, though. If I have anything that I'm doing is on my Twitter. Um, I have some documentaries that uh, student films you can watch if you're really desperate for some David Clark content. Um, But uh, not all of them are fun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, um, yeah, but David Clarky on Twitter and all. 
You can find me there. Well, I'm definitely. I didn't even realize you had a Dark Souls video, so I will probably be watching that. Oh, it's so much fun! You're gonna like it. It's this is really. I, I gotta say, it's very fun. Uh, let me know what yeah, you think. Yeah, I, I can't. I'll have to go watch it. I just started from the homepage. I didn't realize you already had shit up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last week I edited the Dark Souls one. I'm working on two more. One, my my second one will be up on uh, Thursday. My third will be up on Saturday. Awesome. And then every Thursday and Saturday it should be. Awesome. Yeah. We'll, can't wait to we'll watch. definitely check it out. I'll be checking it out. We love to watch. I don't know if you've heard that before. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's a backlog of amazing ones. So, like, there's, there's just tons of funny videos. They've been doing it for a few years now. And just, and it, like, if you're into that, it's, it's, give it a watch. It's, it's just really great. It's very fun and charming and like, um, kind of a great escape from like the world in a weird way. Like, I, I, I think that those videos are just like, some of the well, just the best place on the internet so yeah please please i will take it out. out i have gotten more and more used to watching short form youtube type content just because a lot of times i feel like i don't have the mental energy to watch a movie at a certain point in night. yeah this uh, is so i found a lot of good stuff but that stuff really has filled like a uh niche and i think i've seen every vine compilation video so i'm, I'm looking forward to maybe finding something else that can occupy those last 20 minutes of the day this is definitely something that like you can like like Look, I'm. I, I expect everyone to pay perfectly close attention to what I make, but no, it's also something you could like totally put on while you're folding laundry or like playing playing Switch or something like that. Like it is very like it's relaxing and it's kind of like hangout TV. It's yeah. it's you know it's very enjoyable. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Peter, we have one more of these, and it's a double. We got a dub. We're we're doing Ikkyu, uh, the Meg Ryan, Tim Robbins, and Walter Matthau movie. And then uh, the remake of Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House, The Money Pit, with Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. Uh, I've seen one of those. Peter has seen none of those. We're going to – it could be a real bummer way to end this month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it felt weird to start that way. It feels like we needed to watch the three and then see what they're like without the other one. So Money Pit I I remember not liking, but I was very young when I saw it. So I don't know. I I said this last week. I am the one thing that really entices me about the Money Pit is that ninety or sorry eighties like manic energy, manic comic energy. Tom Hanks is something you that literally stopped after Joe versus the volcano, uh, which is nineteen ninety. So seeing that type of performance where he just is like in his like full burbs mode freakout could be a lot of fun, even if the movie doesn't hold up well. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, uh, uh, you. I'll, <laughs> Thank you I'll for have that. To listen, of I'll have to listen because I'm not going to watch it again. <laughs> um. uh, yeah, it's probably a good idea. But we're doing that, uh, and then uh, next month we'll, we'll announce guests in order next week. But we are doing. Uh, what are we doing, Peter? March is going to be sci-fi horror month. Oh, that should be fun. We're going to be doing. I love sci-fi. Horror. More specifically, space horror. Space horror. Nice. So we're going to be doing Alien, Sunshine, Event, Event Horizon. Horizon. And Jason X. And Jason You're X. doing Jason X? Uh, yeah. We're doing Jason X. Yeah. So this month is called uh, Meg's Gonna Give It To You. And <laughs> next month is called X Gonna Give It To You. <laughs> X Gonna Give It To You. Why? <laughs> yeah. Calling calling our shot now is the opening track of that particular episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. I'm excited for that. We, we wanted to do a sci-fi horror, but we decided to uh, really separate it so that we could go back and do a similar type. Uh, sci-fi horror but with uh, in the terrestrial setting uh next time uh surprisingly not that many good space horror movies except for a couple very very good ones so uh, 
You got three. We did it. <laughs> Which is the one you hate, Event Horizon? I haven't seen. Actually, I don't know Event Horizon. I was talking about Jason X. Oh, okay. Well, I'm excited for Event Horizon because we do have a guest, which we'll announce next week. That um, I think it runs the gambit for. I am positive on it, and at one point it was like the scariest movie I'd ever seen, or at least I said that. Um, probably was true at the time. Uh, Peter's mixed, and our guest hates it. So I'm kind of excited for that episode. I can't wait. Do I know this guest? Uh, Bridget Taylor. Oh, perfect. <laughs> it's gonna be a good one uh it's very exciting not yeah, quite so. not quite you've got mail exciting but what is <laughs> no. <laughs> no david uh, stop selling they've already listened yeah, it's over you don't need right, to sell right. they know it's trash already. what a piece of garbage <laughs> all right all right good night everyone we'll good. see you the next time the voice says that you've got podcast I've been around the world Had my pick of any girl You'd think I'd be happy Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us... Uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.